Do you like this show and you want to help support us? Do you want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Of course you do. Well, head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro and become a Patreon supporter of this very show. Greetings, programs, and welcome back to another edition of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins. And my name is Derek Diamond. So it's been a pretty cool week. Um, I picked up the Sega Genesis Mini the other night, and I've been playing the hell out of it. And how has your week been? It's been good. Uh, I actually... Kind of echo what you did. I we talked last week about how the Genesis Mini and the Link's Awakening remake were coming out. Mm-hmm. I downloaded the Link's Awakening remake, and I've very much been enjoying it. You know, the it still has the same charm of the original game, but the new animation is really growing on me. The music's fantastic. Um, I'm about a third of the way through it, and it's it's been a lot of fun. I cannot so wait. I've re- to very play much it. enjoyed it. Man, I I really am trying to wait until the Christmas holidays because that's going to be my holiday game to play. But man, it's so hard to wait. Like, I want it so badly. I see it on the store every time I go play my Switch. I see it, you know, when I go to Walmart or when I go to GameStop, which I went to GameStop the other night to specifically get the Sega Genesis. And I, I walked in and I see Link's Awakening like on the wall immediately to my right and i'm like hmm it makes the decision <laughs> tough it does man so i was like nope 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 i had to put on blinders and and go to the the counter and pick up my uh, sega genesis and i'm glad i did because as soon as i got home that night man i started playing uh sonic spinball which is really really fun and uh, played a little bit of sonic 2 and then immediately jumped after that to uh Castlevania Bloodlines, and I wanted to tell everybody, I know I said I was going to do Kung Fu Heroes next week, but next week marks the beginning of October, and we always do Halloween Horror Month, and we do uh, horror games, or, you know, like, horror-themed games, or something scary, so I'm going to actually do uh, Castlevania Bloodlines for my next review, and I'm going to save Kung Fu Heroes till uh, November. Which I think is a good idea. You know, the next show we do will be on October 1st, or we'll be recording it on October 1st. So it's the official kickoff of the month, and I still have no clue what I'm going to do for any of my horror-themed games. I've got a little bit of time to figure that out, but yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, I don't know. I might have to look. Because uh, is there anything on the Nintendo 64 that could be considered a horror game? Or, um, not that I've played before. Actually, I don't think. What if we ask the patrons for some suggestions for you? Because I'm doing Castlevania month. I'm doing Bloodlines, and then I'm doing Castlevania two for October. Yeah, because let's see. If I pull up October, you'll be doing the first and the fifteenth. I'll be doing the eighth and the twenty second. And then the 29th is when we're releasing the the Halloween mm-hmm. uh, movie reviews. Yes. 
So I, I, I might do that. After we record, I might post on the Patreon and ask uh, ask the listeners or the patrons you know what, what they think would be good games. I would like for you to do. I mean, this is just my suggestion. You know how much I love the Resident Evil games. Resident Evil 4 is really good. And it's available on the Switch now, or you can get it for the GameCube. Um, I think okay. it's like maybe twenty twenty five bucks on uh, on the Nintendo Switch. But that's a really good game. So if you like survival horror games, that's probably one of the best Resident Evil games you can get. And I've only briefly played the original Resident Evil. I haven't played any of the other ones. So I think you would enjoy. That 4. would be a terrible idea. Not a bad idea. Throw that one up there and see what people think. Yeah. Hmm. I like that. But yeah, yeah man. That's I've a been, good idea. I've been playing the Genesis like crazy and been playing Bloodlines and like that is such a good game. And was that the one that was only released in Japan? I mean, we'll cover that next week, but I'm not sure that actually came out in the United States, did it? I want to say you're right. I don't don't quote me on yeah, that. Yeah, same here. We'll find out next week when I do my research. Yeah. But man, that game's fun. It's almost like a remake of the original Castlevania. Like, a lot of the the stages are the same. A lot of the enemies are the same. But it's just, it's so smooth. (laughs) You know? And the one thing I noticed about the Sega Genesis, it doesn't quite have that bright color palette that the Super Nintendo had, but... Man, some of the games they put on. I'm, I kind of tasted a lot of the different games, just a little bit here and there. I played some uh, Road Rash 2. Um, I played a little bit of uh, uh, Golden Axe. And um, what was some of the other ones? I played a couple of other different games on there. Man, they put a really good selection of games on the mini. And I'm quite happy with my purchase. So if you're on the fence about getting one, I would suggest go ahead and picking one up because I've been happy with it ever since I bought it. I'm excited to get it. Um, I'll actually be getting some extra money from some freelance jobs I've been working over the last couple of weeks. So yeah. uh, once that money comes in, I will I will splurge on the Genesis Mini and, I do, and give my thoughts on it. My only complaint is I'm not a fan of the Genesis controller. I don't like the three-button configuration, yeah. but they are doing... Uh, Walmart has... Um, the the you can buy separate controllers for it that are actually the six button controllers. So I'm kind of interested about maybe picking one of those up uh, in the next month or so and see how that works. Because I feel like it needs to have more buttons. I don't know because I'm so used to the Super Nintendo. I'm not used mm-hmm. to not having shoulder buttons and you know the the bumpers and like the extra buttons. It's just, it takes a little getting used to because like like I said, we we weren't Genesis kids, so this is kind of our first foray really and into the Genesis. Well, I can even remember back when I played the Sonic games for the Genesis. I wasn't a fan of the controller back yeah. then, but no, that that's interesting. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's still worth the money to me. I I've been really enjoying it. No no buyer's remorse here at all. Well, it's good that we both have our our purchases we bought this past week have been, you know, we've we've been fans of. Oh yeah, which is good. I still want to get Link's Awakening. It's like it's killing me that I don't have it. <laughs> but I've got enough to play, so I I can hold off yeah. for a little while. But um, but well, I'm already I'm- jumping. Uh, what were you gonna say? I was just going to say the holidays will be here before you know it. Oh, so. yeah. 
We're not. We're what? Like plenty of time. Two months away from December, so we're not far at all. We're practically in October. I know, which is crazy there. to think about. Eesh. Almost, almost yeah. rent time. Ugh, next check's going to rent. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm ready to go into the news. How about you? Let's do it. Let's do it. Actually, Derek, I'm going to let you take this first one. Oh, you're too kind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the first story comes to us from NintendoLife.com. Because everyone demanded it, especially you and I, mm -hmm. The Wizard is getting a 30th anniversary Blu-ray release. When The Wizard... Yes. When The Wizard made its original debut in cinemas, it was widely panned by critics for being nothing more than a lengthy commercial for Nintendo and Universal Studios. Despite this, it still managed to develop a cult following over the years. Now, as we near the film's 30th anniversary, the movie's director, Todd Holland, has revealed a, spe a special Blu-ray is in the works and will arrive next February. And it's all thanks to the loyal fans for repeatedly screaming at Universal <laughs> to give the movie some respect. And he actually posted a video on his Instagram mm -hmm. uh, about, you know, breaking the news. And I know this is a movie that, you know, you and I hold in a very dear place. You know, I, I'm... It's been a while since I told the story, but I, I can remember the old video store that used to be in the town I grew up in. Mm -hmm. They had this movie, and I was the only one who would ever rent it. And I would make my mom, you know, rent it for me at least every couple of weeks. And eventually, they just let let us buy it. Yeah, because I was literally the only one who would have any interest in watching it. <laughs> That's so awesome, dude! I remember right? renting this when I was a kid, and then, um. I don't know if if you if you youngins remember at all, but those of us older folks remember. Uh, the only way we could have a movie library because VHS tapes were ridiculously expensive back in the day. We would rent movies, go buy you know blank VHS tapes, and then borrow someone's VCR, and you would tape movies, or you would tape them off of HBO or whatever if you were lucky enough to have HBO. So I remember renting this movie and. Um, going to my grandfather's house and borrowing his VCR so I could bring it home, hook the VCRs up, and tape this movie. And I actually taped it. In, um, old VHS tapes had three settings, two hours, four hours, and six hours. Now, the longer you made the tape go, the less quality it was. This was the one tape that I did it on the two-hour setting, the SP setting, two hours, so I could get the highest possible quality of movie. And I taped this movie. I have my own, I made my own little label for it and everything. And I, pardon my language, I fucking wore this fucking tape out. <laughs> like, I, you couldn't even like. It was so worn out and washed out by the time like I got old enough to be like, I don't want to watch this movie anymore. Like you, you could barely even see what it would like. Just had scan lines and like looked terrible. But man, I've watched this movie so many times when I was a kid. And then we did our commentary track for this movie was still one of my favorite episodes we've ever done for this show. So I cannot tell you how excited I am to finally have a Blu-ray HD copy of this movie. I'm hoping they have some additional footage because I, there's a link to another article on this one where they did like an in-depth review and they also did an interview yeah. with Todd Holland, the director. 
Apparently, there's over two hours of unused footage wow. from the movie, including an alternate opening. So I'm hoping that that is on the Blu-ray. I'm hoping there's lots of extras on the Blu-ray, making of um, interviews with the cast, like today, like you know, looking yeah. back on the movie. I would just love like anything they can give me on this Blu-ray. I want. It'd be really cool if Nintendo actually did a little feature about like the making of Mario Brothers 3 and how it tied into this movie because a little known fact about it is that this was the first time anyone saw anything about Mario Brothers 3. It made its debut in this mm -hmm. film. Oh, what a what an awesome reveal. It still gives me goosebumps when I watch this today. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm 42 years old, and this movie still gives me goosebumps when the thing goes up and it's Super Mario Brothers three. I'm just like, I want to go play Super Mario Brothers three right now. Well, the, another side note about this is like growing up watching this, I didn't know anyone else who had watched it or had even heard of it. I didn't either <laughs> until I brought it up to you, and you're like, Oh yeah, I love that movie. And I'm I like, was, What? Someone else has seen it? I know. I was such a Nintendo geek when I was a kid. Like I loved everything Nintendo, man. Like, I had my Nintendo Power subscription. Loved this movie. Read everything I could about every Nintendo game there was, and then to just have an entire movie dedicated to Nintendo was just they were. I was that perfect demographic for this movie. And as an additional note, I think that Todd Holland should appear on the Derek Diamond Experience. Yes, I think so too. <laughs> Funny enough, I actually looked up his um, IMDb page today. And normally, as a little secret to how I get some of my interviews, is I have a subscription to IMDb Pro. And through that, I can find the contacts for like publicists or agents, and then I reach out to them. But for him, there wasn't really anything. Yeah. So it might be one of those things that I have to just tweet at him directly and see if he says anything. Oh, yeah. That'd I think awesome, if though. I explain, you know, like how big of a fan I was of this movie that I think he might do it. Just send him our com commentary track and tell him to listen, listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember driving to your house that day and then we just sat in front of your TV with my little recorder and two microphones. Mm -hmm. That was fun. And we watched it. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's still top three favorite episode for me was that commentary. Oh, yeah. I don't remember which episode it is. It's an early episode, so if you haven't listened to it, just go back into the archives. It's like episode 12 or something like that. It's really early on in the, in the show. Yeah, it's easily within like the first six months of us doing the show. I'm actually curious about that. I'm going to look that up really quick. You go ahead and look that up, and I'll go into the next, uh, the next story. Um, cool. This one comes from tweaktown.com. GameStop stores are turning into retro gaming cafes. Uh, GameStop stores are getting big redesigns, including couches and retro gaming stations. Um, let's see. After years of fa failing sales and a crippling $500 million loss in 2018, GameStop is making big changes to its business. The company is restructuring its storefronts into gaming cafes with retro gaming, LAN play, and modern console gaming to keep customers engaged. To pay for all this, GameStop is closing as many as 200 stores across the globe to fund these new expenditures. Um, I, I don't know if this might be too little too late, but I, I don't know. I don't know if GameStop could turn it around at this point. It's not a bad idea. It's not. I'll give them that. But the thing is, is that 
GameStop, and I know you've been praising them the last couple of months, but I know GameStop has a horrible reputation mm. with because a lot of GameStops I've been to don't have the greatest customer service, yeah, which is one thing. But then when you want to trade in games to get store credit and you get pennies for it, yeah, even if you take in like a console, you don't get really all that much for it. I don't know. In theory, it's a good idea, but I don't see myself going to hang out at a GameStop and I mean, what are they going to offer? Are they going to have? Is it going to be like a combination of a GameStop and a coffee shop? Are they going to have a little coffee bar, or is it just going to be a lounge area where you can play games? I mean, I think it's just a lounge area, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> I'd be willing to try it out to uh, go up there with some friends, play some old consoles, but. I've got everything. I got all that stuff here at my house that I can do that. So, yeah, I don't know if I'm willing to go to a place to do that unless they have something else. Like you said, like a coffee bar or something in there, or I just, I, I don't know. I just, you know, everything is, is fast moving towards uh digital download. I'm the type of person I still like to have physical discs or, you know, physical media. Like I, prefer to own physical copies of like switch games or, you know, PlayStation four. I, I have a lot of games that are digital download, like a lot of, uh, you know, indie games and th stuff like that. But for like the big triple a stuff, like the Nintendo, you know, first party games, I want to own like the actual physical copies of them, but I can do that anywhere. You know, I can do that at Walmart target. I don't have to go to GameStop. Now, like you said, I have had some good experiences with GameStop in the last couple of months, but if it goes away, it's not going to hurt me all that much. I mean, I can still yeah. get everything that I want to get at Walmart or Target. Well, and it, you kind of hit, you know, you touched on this subject that with me personally, it takes me a lot now to get me to leave my house. Yeah. You know, if, if it, I, I really don't even like going out to buy like groceries, to be honest. <laughs> you and me both. Well, but, and even with games, you know, I'll go to video game trading posts, you know, here in town to go look at retro games because they're really friendly, their prices are good, and it's a good atmosphere. Yeah. But, but with GameStop, really with any new games, I'll just download them onto my Switch. Yeah, I mean, that's, if it's a game that like I really like, if it's a Breath of the Wild or a Mario Odyssey, I'll buy a physical copy. But I haven't bought a physical copy for something in a while. Like with Link's Awakening, I just yeah. downloaded it for the Switch. I did the same thing with Smash Brothers. Yeah, I don't know. It's just in this day and age where more and more people sit at home it's going to be tough to pull people in by doing the the gaming cafe or lounge aspect of your store. Again, it's a good idea. I just don't know if it's going to work. Yeah. I don't know. I I really don't think so. I I give GameStop another 5 years at best before yeah. they're forced to to just completely close. And that, and that sucks, you know, I hate it for them, but like even, you know, my my local retro gaming store, the Play and Talk, like 
it's not just a retro gaming store. I mean, there's it's a retro gaming store, but they also have this whole other section that's like candy and like scented candles <laughs> and things like that. You know, like it's not just a retro gaming store. So even they're reliant on other things to sell. And, you know, GameStop's been kind of been doing that the past few years, trying to offer things like, you know, think geek type stuff, you know, toys and T-shirts and all that stuff. But I still I just don't think it's enough, especially with the reputation that they've given themselves the last probably 10 years. It's just yeah. I, I don't think they're going to be able to get past that. And it's a shame because I've got good memories with GameStop. I still remember going to the midnight releases of you yeah. know, games like Halo Reach, uh, Skyrim, and games like that. That you know, I remember waiting in line like seven or eight friends would go, and we would just hang out that night. Yeah. And then we would get the game, go back to someone's house, and then we would play until like the early hours of the morning. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think those days are slowly going away. <laughs> yeah, which is unfortunate. Um, before I move on to our last story, so our wizard commentary track, do you want to take a stab at the episode number and when it aired? Uh, I'm going to say episode 16. Uh, let's see, it had to be in December. I think it was in December of 2015. You're close. It was episode 20, Ooh. and it aired December 28th, 2016. Ooh, I, I knew I had the year wrong. <laughs> I remembered that because I was on Christmas break, that's so right. that's, that's how I, I was able it. to just go over. On, I think we did it on like a, a Tuesday or a Wednesday. It was during yeah. the week. Yeah, I think it was during my uh, my Christmas holiday, too. Yeah. So we did it like oh, on some weird, random <laughs> you know, weekday. Yeah, one of the few times that it actually worked out. Yeah. But our last story, this is a cool one. This is from Engadget.com. On Nintendo's 130th birthday, here are five books about its history. Uh, This was written uh, yesterday, uh, September 23rd. Today is Nintendo's 130th birthday. No, that's not a typo. I I thought the same thing, too. I was like, (laughs) holy crap. Because I I remember the whole trading card aspect of it, but... Or playing cards. You know what sucks is I remember them celebrating their 100th birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's see. Uh, The company's been around since before video games or even televisions. It started way back in 1883 making uh, Hanafuda, which is a type of playing card with flowers on it. In fact, the company still makes them. You can even buy a set with Mario's face on the cards. That'd That's be a pretty awesome. cool collector's item. Yeah, it would. Those are cool-looking cards. I like that little case they come with, too. Yeah, I do, too. But that's not all the company's done in over a century of existence. Did you know the company used to make toys in the 60s and 70s? Or even owned this, oh, my God, a, a love, love hotel? hotel? What is a love hotel? <laughs> is that what I think it is? <laughs> uh, welcome to the Hotel of Love. Brought to you by Nintendo. <laughs> oh geez we we could get into so many jokes yeah we're just gonna we're just gonna slowly yeah walk past that <laughs> yeah all i'll say is wow. wow and yes nintendo's been making video games for more than 40 years now 
Uh, from the Color TV Game 6 to last week's Switch Lite, it has a pretty storied history in gaming, and you can learn all about that and more through the less interactive but still entertaining realm of books. And it lists uh, five different books about the history of Nintendo, and I'll just list them off uh, really quick. There's Super Mario, How Nintendo Conquered America by Jeff Ryan. That actually looks pretty good. I actually want to read that one. That art is awesome. I know. It's simple, but cool. I love it. <laughs> it was published in 2011 with an update in 2012. Oh, cool. So there's nothing about the Switch in it. Oh, yeah. Let's see. There's Console Wars by Blake Harris. Uh, the Game Console by Evan Amos. Or Amos. 33 and a third, Koji Kondo Super Mario Brothers soundtrack. That would be really cool. Yeah. Because Koji Kondo has made some great music for Nintendo. Not just Mario, but he did the Zelda games as well. And Tetris by Box Brown. So if you're if you're a reader, there's links to um, Amazon for all of these books. And they're all relatively cheap. You know, the last two I listed are $10. The game console is 15 Console Wars is 12 And Super Mario, How Nintendo Conquered America is only 13 I'm, I'm. I think I might actually pick that up this week. That looks like a pretty good book to read. Um, I love reading yeah. about Nintendo's history, and uh, especially want to read about the '80s era. I love it all. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, I haven't read a good book in a while, so I might. If there's an audio version of that, I might get that. Because I've still got quite a few credits that I haven't used yet. Speaking of Tetris, um, I do not like the Sega Genesis version of Tetris. <laughs> I like the Nintendo version much better. Oh, I forgot Tetris was even on the Genesis. Yeah, they have it on the the Mini. And I played it a little bit, and I was like, yeah, I don't really like this version of it. There's an, an, uh, an updated version called Tetris 99. It's on the Switch that is really it. fun. I, I couldn't get into it because I kept getting my ass kicked and I didn't know how to play it. <laughs> <laughs> so I just gave up. Uh, that sounds like me and Cuphead. Oh, yeah. Actually, I got back on Cuphead uh, a few days ago and I actually beat the stage that I was stuck on for so long. I beat it and then I immediately stopped, saved the game, and I was like, all right, I'm done for like a week. So I'm, I'm going to get back on it in the next couple of days. There's one boss that I just get so close to beating every time, and it's like as they're about to die, I get hit, and then I'm done, and then I just get so frustrated that I'm like, yeah, I'm done with this game. Which, which boss? Uh, the uh, one that transforms into a moon, moon. during its last it. phase. I don't think I made that one yet. I just got past the, uh, the two guys, the two big frogs on the boat, and then I went and uh, what was the next stage I went to? Um, the, I opened up the, uh, the mausoleum and then I went to the next stage, which was, uh, I think in, no, I, did I beat that stage? The one inside the tree. Uh, and then I went to another, I don't remember which stage I stopped on, but I was like, yeah, I'm done for, for now. <laughs> I'm going to go back <laughs> in the next few days. That game is hard, yeah. man. It really is. Beautiful game, though. Beautiful game, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> Too old for that shit. Man, I'm cussing right? up a storm tonight. We're going to have to put on the uh, the explicit tag. We're earning our red E tonight. Yes, we are. And on that note, we're moving into this month in video game history. 
on September 20th of 1984, Elite, an influential wireframe 3D space trading game offering a then-unique open-ended design, is published by Acorn Soft. And I do not remember Acorn Soft at all, so they must have not been around too much longer than that. Well, I mean, if this game's called Elite, then it has to be good, right? It's gotta be. Yeah, I mean... Well, the name like Elite, it's gotta be good. The the one screen cap that they have reminds me of like what could be an early development of what became Star Fox. Yeah, for Super I can Nintendo. See that. It does say the, that the wireframing um, reminds me of that. Said it was hugely inf- influential, serving as a model for other games including Wing Commander, Grand Theft Auto, Eve Online, Freelancer, and No Man's Sky. Huh, that's awesome. Yeah. Let's see, September 20th of 1985, Namco releases Motos. Motos. Oh, that is a cool-looking, that's some cool-looking game art. Yeah. I like that logo a lot. Yeah, I do too. Very Tron-ish. Yeah. Let's see, it says here the player must take control of the eponymous Motos, a bumper car whose goal is to force enemies over the edge of the playfield by bumping up against them. However, all the enemies are capable of doing exactly the same thing to power parts and jump parts can also be collected during the 62 rounds. That's a lot. Hmm. Which will give Motos extra bumping power and the ability to jump over gaps in the playfield. Last time it was re-released was in 2008 for the Xbox 360. I'm not going to lie. I've not heard of this game. I think I have, but I, it it's not ringing too much of a bell. Yeah. Uh, also on September 20th of 1986, man, September 20th was a busy day. Uh, yeah. Sega releases the OutRun racing game. Man, I love me some OutRun back in the day. It's weird because I feel like every week during September, we've talked about some type of racing game that was released in the 80s. Oh, racing games were just like... Dime a dozen, man, but there was some that really stood out, and Outrun was one of those games because it was. I mean, you could actually you can look at the cabinet version of it if you scroll down a little bit. That's a cool looking cabinet, man, <laughs> and uh, the game itself is is not so much like like a, a battle type of game. It's more just kind of you know get to the finish line. You know, get through the courses, get through the track, and I don't know. It was just kind of a, a kind of a laid back racing game, and that's what I liked about it. Yeah. In September of 1993, Sonic CD is released for the Sega CD. It features the first appearance of Amy Rose and Metal Sonic to the Sonic the Hedgehog series. This was Metal Sonic. This was a big deal back then because this was probably space-wise the biggest Sonic game that was ever released because in addition to your normal zones, you had past and future versions that you could travel to. Hmm. And then also introducing you know, Metal Sonic, who's a really popular character in the Sonic universe. Metal Sonic. Uh, this is one that I've never beaten, and plus it's got a cool little um, anime-style intro to it with, oh, I believe, cool. the first ever... No, there was... I think there was a vocal song for Sonic 2 or 3 during the end credits, but one of the first vocal tracks to be used in a Sonic game, which 
more of those play into what I will be reviewing this evening. I'm going to be doing that for days now. Metal Sonic. Sounds like something from Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I got it from. <laughs> uh, September 27th of 1996, Meridian 59 is released for Windows. It was one of the first MMORPGs. I do not remember this game at all. I wonder if it was the sequel to Meridian 58. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, bad joke, um, I'm sorry. One of the longest-running original online role-playing games. The development team included John Hankey, who later founded Niantic, and co-developed Google Earth and Pokemon Go. Both very big deals today. Absolutely. They don't give you any it's... screenshots. Mm-mm. That's stupid. Uh, no, it's, it's crazy to think that MMOs started you know that like way back then oh because yeah. i always when i think of mmos i associate that with like the mid to late 2000s yeah because i didn't even actually start playing mmos until city of heroes roughly 2000 i'd say 2004 ish somewhere around there i started playing city of heroes played that for a few years and then moved on to uh World of Warcraft and Lord of the Rings Online and um, City of Villains. Man, I miss I miss those games. I we need to have Joey Image on here and let's do a whole retrospective on City of Heroes and City of Villains. I'd be down with that. I, oh man, I love those games. Somebody needs to re-release those games. Like I still have the boxes for my uh, City of Heroes and City of Villains. I love those games so damn much. Uh, any episode with Joey Image is the best episode. Yeah. <laughs> and to close us out for this month in video game history, on September 22nd, 1999, Resident Evil 3 Nemesis mm -hmm. is released for the PlayStation. I remember me and my roommate at the time. This was one of the times where we, uh, he had the PlayStation. Uh, actually, a PlayStation, was it, did he have a PlayStation 2 at the time? No, it was no, just a regular PlayStation. And, um, man, we went and got this at, like, midnight from Walmart. <laughs> and we played the hell out of this game that night. And I, I ought to be young and have nothing to do. Right. Now, I've always been interested about, like, the Resident Evil stories. So, uh, the more I think about it, the more I might do uh, Resident Evil 4. I think you should, because Resident Evil 4 is kind of a... It was the first game where they did the over-the-shoulder third-person view, so you don't have the tank controls, and I think you'll enjoy it a lot more than the older games. That's Sweet. why I love the Resident Evil 2 remake so much, because they did the over-the-shoulder third-person and stopped doing all that crappy, like weird camera angles and tank controls and crap like that. Yeah. I might have to do that. But uh, right now, we need to do some shout-outs. And Derek, I'm going to let you give a huge thank you to uh, a certain number of people. Yeah, so uh, every week we like to give a shout-out to our Patreons, who uh, without them, the show would not be possible. Uh, we like to give a shout-out to Axeblade07, Chris Collingwood, Daniel Salmon, and Justin Olson. 
And if you would also like to help us out and uh, get us back up to that $50 level to where we could do extra episodes every month and um, do the, the, the commentary tracks and the you know, the reviews and all that kind of stuff. We would do it as an extra episode every month if you get us back to that $50 level. So just head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. We have a $1, a $3, and a $5 level. And uh, go go throw us a couple bucks every month and help us get back up to that level. So thank you guys very much. And now Derek is Well, going... real, real quick, uh, the stream is down. Is it? Oh, man. Let me actually, I'm just going to stop it and then uh, kick it back on. Okay. Stopping stream. Hmm. All right. Why is it not stopping? <laughs> uh, come on, OBS. You're killing me. All right. I'm going to pause the show for one moment. And we're back. And those of you listening, uh, you didn't even know we were gone. What? (laughs) So tonight, Derek is going to be talking about... Now that was some rockin' uh, rockin' theme song. The awesome tones of Crush 40, who did quite a few of the vocal tracks, specifically the main themes for a lot of the, the 3D Sonic game. That one, Open Your Heart, is easily my favorite <laughs> out of all the ones that they've done. They've even got full albums with just their Sonic music on it. Yeah, I was, which I was is reading really cool. about that when I was capturing the music. Yeah, it, it's it's really good. So I, I'm glad you picked that song. But this is a review that I feel like I should have done a couple of weeks ago uh, when we were talking about the 20-year anniversary of the Dreamcast. I remember it hit me during the show. I was like, oh, I should have reviewed Sonic Adventure because it was a launch title for it uh, and was you know pretty popular back when it, it first came out. So um, better late than never. Uh, This week, I will be reviewing Sonic Adventure, which is a 1998 platform game for Sega's Dreamcast and the first main Sonic the Hedgehog game to feature three-dimensional gameplay, which that has not been without its uh, criticism and controversy, which some of it, which I will get into with my review, is well-founded, I will admit, um, but there are some things to really take away from this game from positive aspect. Um, I remember getting a Dreamcast specifically for this game because I was a big Sonic fan. You know, Nintendo is still, you know, my my go-to. Uh, I always take Nintendo over everything else. But I have a soft spot in my heart for the Sonic franchise. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't get enough Sonic back in the day. Back in you know the mid '90s, when you had Sonic in his prime in 2D with Sonic 2 and Sonic 3 coming out, you had two different cartoon series. You had comic book 
So Sonic was very well known in you know mainstream cult back in that time, and you know Mario sixty four had came out, and we've talked about how great that game was, and the great transition from two D to three D that Mario had. Yeah, Sonic struggled a bit with that. So first, I'll talk about a little bit about the actual game itself. So the story of the game, which is one of the positives, um, Dr. Robotnik seeks a new way to defeat his longtime nemesis, Sonic, and conquer the world. During his research, he learns about an entity called Chaos, a creature that thousands of years ago helped to protect the Chow and the all-powerful Master Emerald, which balances the power of the seven Chaos Emeralds. When a tribe of echidnas sought to steal the power of the Emeralds, breaking the harmony they had with the Chow, Chaos retaliated by using the Emerald's power to transform into a monstrous beast known as Perfect Chaos and wiped them out. But before it could destroy the world, Tikal, a young Echidna who befriended Chaos, imprisoned it in the Master Emerald along with herself. And then you cut to arguably hundreds, maybe thousands of years later, uh, Robotnik breaks out Chaos from the Master Emerald and hopes to use him to defeat Sonic and take over the world so this was the first sonic game that really had a lot of backstory to it you know when you think of the 2d games you just run through the various zones you rescue little woodland animals and you beat robotnik at the end of every stage i love the story of this game it's been adapted in cartoons it's been adapted in the comics and dare I say, and I was kind of saving this review for when the movie comes out, because I think if you're going to make a Sonic movie, this would be a great adaptation because it's got good character development. It's got, you know, the natural hero versus villain aspect, and it's got some really cool cutscenes in it. So the story, to me, I would dare say is my favorite of any of the Sonic games. You know, I love the Chaos character. I like that you actually get to see development with the other characters that you wouldn't have seen in the 2D games. It says here it Where, came out, um, it was ported to the GameCube in 2003, a Sonic Adventure DX director's cut. I knew I had seen this before in a GameCube uh, case. Yes, yeah, so the GameCube version is actually the one that I've been playing uh, in preparation of doing this review because I couldn't really justify buying a Dreamcast. I know it might be hypocritical of me to say because I got the Dreamcast back in the day for Sonic Adventure. Yeah. <laughs> but I already had a GameCube, so I figure I'll, you know, pick up Sonic Adventure DX. I think it was like $15. Yeah. So it wasn't really all that expensive. And, you know, I bought the director's cut when it came out, which to me actually is not as good as the original one. Some of the technical problems that I have with it, the this game was created in Japan. The dubbing from Japanese to English is atrocious. Really? It is, it is really, really bad. And I wish it was something that they would have fixed for the GameCube release but they didn't i could kind of justify it on the dreamcast a little bit because it was the first game there were a lot of things to be ironed out but to to not fix it for 
the GameCube version to me was was inexcusable. Yeah. Like there there will be times where you know the character will finish their dialogue and their mouse will still be moving a good two to three seconds after they're done. <laughs> it's it's really bad. It is really bad. Uh the camera controls in this game are really frustrating. You pretty much have an auto camera. You you can use it manually to move, you know, from left to right or to go around your character. But it's so glitchy mm. that it's really frustrating. And it, it, that was, again, something that they didn't fix in the GameCube version. And that was something that was really a problem around this time when this game came mm. out was camera and how yep. to move around in a 3D environment. They hadn't quite mastered that technology yet. I mean, even Super Mario 64 had its camera problems you know like this was just the era of bad <laughs> use of camera like they just didn't quite have a grasp on it yet well the thing that i'll add to that is that something that plagued the sonic franchise throughout its entire 3d run you know the camera wasn't that much better for sonic adventure 2 it was okay during generations I remember it not being that big of an issue. It still was a little glitchy, but you know, Sonic is one of those things, and I know we've touched on it before, is that to me, Sonic belongs in a 2D environment. I yeah. still would love for them to add cutscenes to flesh out story like they do with Sonic Adventure and Sonic Adventure 2, or really even any of the 3D games but still maintain that 2D aspect of it. In a lot of the modern Sonic games, they've done kind of a blend with 2D and 3D, which kind of works, but I still prefer the the straight-up, you know, 2D Sonic games. Yeah. I mean, I could but, see, like you said, if they do some sort of... If, if they could really work out the hybrid aspects of it, like have sort of like an overworld type of thing where you move around... Go to different places, saw you know, collect, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> information for or whatever throughout the game. But then you go to a two D, like the world kind of moves to a two D aspect, and that's when you do all the fast running and all that kind of stuff. Like I think that could work. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I could think. I think it could definitely work that way. Mm, excuse me, but um. Kind of backtracking a bit to the story, what makes this game unique is that you play as six different characters through this game. So it's one story through six different points of view. Hmm. And the six characters you play as are, of course, Sonic the Hedgehog, Tails, Knuckles the Echidna, Amy Rose, E-102 Gamma, who is a robot that uh, Robotnik builds as part of his E-100 series. And a character that is pretty much universally despised in the Sonic world. His name is Big the Cat. So with this, with the <clears throat> six different characters, there's different aspects that change the gameplay a little bit, which for the most part I like. I know a lot of Sonic fans don't, but it doesn't really bother me. So as Sonic, you pretty much just get through the level. You know, there's some speed aspects to it. There's some platforming as well. 
you, it's pretty much straightforward. You start at the beginning, and at the end, you either collect the Chaos Emerald or you break the giant contraption that holds the little woodland animals. Hmm. With Tails, you do a condensed version of that, but you race Sonic to get to the end of the level. With Knuckles, you're trying to recover broken pieces of the Master Emerald. So it, it's not really a linear type of zone. It's you're in this kind of central hub area and you try and find three pieces per zone of the Master Emerald. With Amy, you're being chased by this giant robot named Zero. Uh, with E-102 Gamma, and this is, I mean, it's an old game, so it's spoilers aren't really a big deal. Yeah. With Gamma, in the beginning, you're working for Robotnik, but he rebels and for the rest of the game, you fight the other E-100 series and you destroy them. And then, as Big the Cat, you fish for a frog. Hmm. Because, it, which the, the frog actually plays an integral part in the story because at the beginning of the game, um, Chaos, who is, it doesn't really describe what Chaos is, but he's basically like this creature made out of water. A section of Chaos is lost, and f the frog, whose name is Froggy, um, basically drinks up Chaos thinking that it's water and ends up growing a tail and is possessed by Chaos. So it runs away from Big and you have to fish for him. It's literally like a fishing game, <laughs> which is so jarring from the rest of the game. Uh, yeah. thankfully, it's th thankfully, it's the shortest aspect of the entire game. And it's something that whenever I play through this game, I always save his story for last because I don't really like doing it because it's so different and not like Sonic at all. But thankfully, it's the shortest part. There's only four stages and then I think one boss battle that you do that's extremely short. Um, that's really the, the really negative parts of it, as I mentioned, are the camera. The controls are a little dicey you know because the the camera doesn't really help as far as seeing where you're able to go and you can die because of it yeah and funny enough the controls were actually a little worse i think from what i remember in the gamecube version than it was in the uh dreamcast and it's funny because the Dreamcast version, I feel like, is a superior game, even though the GameCube version has a little bit better graphics. But it's, in a way, it's like they kind of put a shiny coat of paint on it. Mm -hmm. But I still very much enjoy the, the GameCube game. And this game, it got good praise when it came out. You know, it says here, Reception, as the fully first fully 3D Sonic platform game, Sonic Adventure was highly anticipated. It received critical acclaim, and some critics called it one of the greatest video games of all time, <laughs> which is crazy to think wow. about. It is the best-selling <laughs> Dreamcast game by August 4th of 2006. It had sold 2.5 million copies, including just under half a million in Japan and 1.27 in the United States. And some of the scores it got, uh, Game Revolution gave it, gave it three and a half stars. GameSpot gave it a 9.2 out of 10. IGN gave it an 8.6 out of 10. Which IGN 
I believe, let me see here. Oh yeah, it says here the audio received mixed responses. GameSpot and Game Revolution called the full motion video cutscenes and voice acting well produced and fitting, though GameSpot noted poor lip syncing. IGN thought the cutscenes were repetitive and voiced strong disapproval of the voice acting, declaring it a complete joke and downright awful. <laughs> IGN had a particular distaste for Tails' voice and retrospectively called it among the most annoying to feature in a video game. I wouldn't go that far. Um, all game was conflicted. They appreciated Tails' portrayal, but found Sonic and Knuckles' voices unfitting. GameSpot and All Game praised the rock style music, but Game Revolution described the score as absolutely horrible. I disagree with the score comment 100%. And that's something that's been consistent with all the Sonic games, is the music has been really good. Mm -hmm. And yes, some of the tracks, because each character has basically a theme song. Most of them, I think, are fitting. I mean, some aren't really my style. You know, like Amy Rose's is going to be like a, a Britney Spears pop style song. Knuckles has a little bit of hip hop to it, which is weird because in Sonic Adventure 2, he has a full on rap theme. <laughs> and you, and which is you have, they have to remember, too, that like this when this game came out, I mean, this was in the time where we were just getting to the point where we could have like full, uh, you know, music not just chip tunes in video games. So, you know, this is still in its infancy of being able to do stuff like that. Yeah. I remember getting the soundtracks because you had the vocal soundtrack and then you had a two disc set with all the zone themes and, you know, like cutscene music and things like that which I think I might still have at my parents' house. I, I'm not... Uh, I know I've got some of the vocal songs uh, on my Spotify playlist, but the music, I would say, overall is is a highlight. But I, I do agree that the the dubbing was really bad. The voice... The character voices didn't really bother me. I mean, would I say Sonic and Knuckles' voices were completely fitting? No. But... I wasn't so, like, it didn't take me out of the game, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Um, a lot of people did not like the director's cut port. Uh, GameSpot was disappointed the re-release did not address the problems of the original version. Irritated the graphics were only marginally different. Which I, I'll agree with that in the sense that the graphics don't really look all that different. Everything just looks kind of glossy. You know yeah, how you have like that glossy type photo paper that has that little bit of shine to it? Yeah. That's what the character's looks remind me of. Well, IGN called it so fundamentally flawed that it borders on unplayable. Again, I wouldn't go quite that far. Uh, the port's not as good, but I, I still, like, it didn't, it's not so bad that I couldn't play it. They said they criticized the lack of widescreen support but offered minor praise for its steady frame rate. Uh, 1up.com lambasted the port for what they called its slapdash quality, um, criticized its display controls, data design, saying it feels like it wasn't even tuned for the Xbox 360 controller and its analog sticks. Yikes. But I mean, overall... You know, I still, this game definitely has its flaws, and I don't think it holds up that well. 
but I still really enjoy it. You know, I know I've knocked it a little bit for some of its flaws, but what makes up for not the greatest gameplay makes up for a really fun story. Yeah. Is and, this the Sonic game that had like actual real people in it, like human characters in like the hub area? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because that's another thing too, is that this this game and they took this away in Sonic Adventure 2, but this had three different hub worlds. It had Station Square, which is basically like New York City. You had the Mystic Ruins, which was like a jungle. And then you had the Egg Carrier, which was Robotnik's giant ship that he unveils about a third of the way through the game. Oh, my only my only other knock is that I enjoy seeing the story from different characters' points of view, but some of it can be repetitive. So, for example, with Chaos, there are several different phases that he goes through depending on how many emeralds he has. Yeah. There's one phase called Chaos 4 where you're basically fighting him in this giant pond because he takes on almost like a fish shape. He encounters Sonic, Tails, and Knuckles. So when you play through Sonic's story, you fight Chaos 4. When you play through Tails' story, you fight Chaos 4. Hmm. When you play through Knuckles' story, you fight Chaos 4. So if you do those three stories in a row it can get kind of repetitive because I, I remember I, the order I normally go through is Sonic, Tails, Knuckles, Amy, Gamma, and Big. By the time I got to Knuckles, I was just ready for the Chaos 4 fight to be over with because yeah. it's virtually the exact same thing. Hmm. So it's... um, But overall, you know, it, I, I look past the flaws and I still remember enjoying this game immensely um, when I was younger and still enjoyed it. You know, I, I see its flaws now, now that I'm older and play through it, you know, and, and give it, giving it an honest review. But I still enjoy it. You know, if you're not really a Sonic fan, I don't think you would enjoy it because of all the technical flaws of it. Yeah. But it's got a great story. You know, like I said, it's to me the best story of any of the Sonic games. Sonic Adventure 2 is really good, but I I love seeing the story of Sonic Adventure 1. And if you're going to make a Sonic movie, and I wish they would have done this for, you know, instead of what we're going to get in a couple of months. Yeah. <laughs> if you adapted this like straight up into a movie, it would be great. Yeah. But overall... I think I would give this game, I got to be honest with it, I would give it probably a solid seven. And that might be, say again? So that's not bad. No, I think that might be a little generous because of the flaws, but to me, the great story makes up for it. So I'd say I'd give it a solid seven. If you're a Sonic fan, chances are you have it in your collection. If you're not chances are you're not going to enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> now, I will say as a as an epilogue, the um, I believe it was the director of this game, in December 2018, he expressed interest in remaking Sonic Adventure. So really? I know we're going through this whole phase of this game should be remastered or that game should re- be remastered. If they did a Sonic Adventure remake, improve the graphics, like did a legit upgrade to the graphics... 
fix the camera flaws as well as some of the control bugs, it would be a great game. And people would love it. I'm all for, um, you know, uh, redoing all these old games, especially ones that should have been great, but were just flawed by like, you know, kind of bad controls or the, you know, the bad camera movement, which they completely improved with the Resident Evil remake. So I'm all for remaking all these older games. 100%. Same. Now, and this would be this Banjo Kazooie. What else would I like to see remastered? I know they did it for the Xbox, but a Conker's Bad Fur Day, like another remake in full HD, would be awesome. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. But yeah, that's my thoughts on Sonic Adventure. I'm sure I'll review Sonic Adventure 2 uh, at some point down the line, which it, that in itself is a really good game, but. Overall, I think I like Sonic Adventure 1 more. You should do that for the uh, the Sonic the Movie release. I think I will do that. That's a good idea. Yeah, I like it. But that brings us to the end of the show. Is there, uh, is there anything else uh, that you wanted to talk about before we get out of here tonight? So, I haven't announced this on this show, I don't think. But next weekend... October 4th through the 6th, um, I will be in Dothan, Alabama at Fanaticon, which is a convention that started back in 2013. Uh, Funny enough, I was actually at that convention back in the old Nerd Cave days. And the convention's been kind of dormant for the last couple of years, but it's being essentially rebooted. This is the first one in at least two years. So I'm going to be there as a media guest um, hopefully getting some good interviews. I know some of the names that will be there um, are George Lowe, who voiced Space Ghost in Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Wow. Um, Roger Bumpus, who's the voice of Squidward and SpongeBob. <laughs> and the one that I really hope I can get an interview with is Wrestling Hall of Famer Jim Ross. Oh, dude. That would be awesome. I know that my show is dedicated to film now, but I would just do that strictly as like a bonus episode. Uh, we might have to because... put it on this feed too as a bonus episode. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. That That's one that I know I'm going to be going up to Dothan that Friday, and I think that's going to be when I'm doing most of the interviews. But it, it should be a lot of fun. You know, I, I know there'll be some people that, uh, that'll be there that I haven't seen in a while. So be good to catch up with old friends and hopefully make some new ones. Oh yeah. That'd be great. Where's and then Dothan, of course, Alabama? you know, check out the, Oh, go ahead. Where's Dothan, Alabama. I know for me, it's about a two and a half hour drive. Let me look at a map and see exactly where it is or like what it's near. So is it kind of up North of mobile? It is it's actually more in eastern Alabama. Oh. It's let's see. God, what is it near? <laughs> it's south it's southeast of Montgomery. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it's it's in kind of a weird area of Alabama that I never go to. Yeah, because I I think I've seen the signs for Dothan. 
Alabama when mm-hmm. I'm going up to visit my brother in Birmingham. So that's why I was like, where is Dothan? I was trying to f- remember where the hell it was at. I know it's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Most of Alabama is. Yeah, so no that'll be listeners. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be next weekend. I'm uh, really excited to do that. And of course, you know, as always, check out the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. A new episode will come out this Thursday. You can follow me on all forms of social media at D Diamond Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, I just want to say if anybody's in or near the Biloxi area and you want to come watch some comedy, come out to the Wayward Kraken Open Mic Comedy Nights on Mondays at 7.30. And me and Mr. Wallace Phelps, the official fa- uh, Nerd Cave Retro fact checker, who hasn't been really doing his job lately. So I guess we must be doing pretty good on our, our getting our facts straight. But uh, we're both there every Monday night at 7.30. If you got some jokes you want to tell, come out and uh, put your name on the list. We'll let you get up and, and tell some jokes. And, uh, yeah, if you're anywhere near the Biloxi area on Monday nights, come out to the Wayward Kraken in downtown Biloxi on Howard Avenue and hang out with us and tell some jokes. I'm going to make it out there at some point. You need to. Within the next, within the next month, I'm going to. You should. You can, you can stay with me and uh, stay the night, and we'll, we'll have some fun. Sweet. We'll tell some jokes. We'll go get some food, go get some Waffle House, <laughs> and we'll play some retro games. Man, I had Waffle House again the other night, oh, and it was you? so good. Oh, all I, all I had was it. just a waffle, and it hit the spot. <laughs> I've been thinking about it every day since then. Like, <laughs> oh, it's so good. So bad for you, but it's so that's that's why it's so good because it's so bad for you. Yep, everything's just made with lard and butter and bacon, <laughs> but no regrets and grease. It's so good. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's our signal to go ahead and get out of here. Let me go ahead and play our music here. If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We're at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro. Individually at jfunktastic and at Derek underscore diamond. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. If you can't throw us a couple bucks every month or a buck a month, go leave us a review wherever you listen to the show, wherever fine podcasts are sold, especially on Spotify. We're getting a lot of Spotify listeners now, and I like that. So, Derek, please tell everybody what it's all about. Master Blaster runs by the town. You blow it!